As I mentioned at the start of the service today, we're uh, talking about a specific day throughout this entire series, a specific day that um, has come to be known as a day called Good Friday. And uh, we're talking about that and kind of the significance, the importance of that day. And uh, as we think about that day, we cannot help but think about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, kind of the interesting thing about that day is that we, and we call it a red letter day because it's a special day, it's an important day. The interesting thing about it is, is that Jesus is not the only person who has ever been crucified on a cross. We talked about the significance, we talked about just the gruesome idea of what crucifixion is the first week of this series, if you remember back to that. And in the Roman world, literally tens of thousands of people were crucified on crosses throughout that time. And so the, the curious question for me is, if tens of thousands of people have been crucified on a cross, why is it that we remember one person of those tens of thousands that have been crucified on a cross? Why is it that we just know one of them? Why is it that one crucifixion out of tens of thousands of crucifixions makes any difference in our world today? Why is it that we know the name of one individual and not the names of ten thousands of individuals or the names of no individuals but why is it that we know the name of one individual who was crucified? Why is it that one name, the name of Jesus Christ, why is it that one name has survived to this day and that literally billions of people around the world find comfort and hope and healing in the name of Jesus Christ? It has less to do with the fact that he was crucified and more to do with the fact of what took place on that day as Jesus hung from the cross. And the words that we're looking at today as Jesus was hanging on the cross, the words that we're going to examine today, I think have real power and real significance for our lives. And I pray that God would work through this message and work through these words of Jesus to convey this very powerful truth in our lives. There's a little bit of a background uh, understanding that we need to have in place before we look at these words of Jesus. And it has to do with this whole idea of what I'm going to call interpersonal communication. Interpersonal communication, if you look it up online, if you talk to some college professors, um, you're going to get a definition that has to do with um, communication between likely just two individuals or, or small groups of people. And it's going to be communication interpersonal communication, communication that depends on some of the information that you get from one individual is going to impact and, and make the other people react in a different way. It's interpersonal, it's very personal communication. And communication's huge. Um, they say that we as human beings, we get bombarded with um, literally hundreds of thousands of pieces of information every single day through billboards and magazines and TV and radio and text messages and email and verbal conversations that we have. Communication's huge. They also say, the experts say, that 90%, 90% of the impression that we give off to someone else has nothing to do with the words that we actually speak. The experts say that 90% of the impression that we give to other people has nothing to actually do with the words that we speak. So what, what makes up that 90%? The 90% includes the tone of voice that we use, 
um, the speed at which we talk, the um, gestures, as some of us like to gesture quite a bit, on the gestures that we have, um, all sorts of things go into that communication and the impression. And the truth is, is that there's some nonverbal communication that God uses as well. Now, that's sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around because we have, we have God's word and we, we either read it or we hear it read. And so we're thinking like words when we think God communicates with us. But God actually uses nonverbal communication in his word as well. And there's some nonverbal communication in God's communication with us today. And I want to try and help you understand that a little bit before we move on. And Alec, if you could kind of come up here and help me for just a second. I want to give you um, three different quick examples of ways that, if you could just stand over here, Alec, of ways that I can communicate with Alec here. And I want you guys, as I show you these three different ways, I want you to try and give me what impression Am I giving to Alec as I communicate with him, okay? So maybe the first one. Hey, Alec. How are you? How do you, how do you think I make Alec feel from up here? Small, insignificant, don't really care about him. Um, how about this? Hey, Alec, how's it going? How's your morning? Good. Good. How about... This little interaction. Right on, right? Looking at him in the face, uh, standing you know, next to him, communicating with him. How, how about one more? You guys tell me what impression do I give to Alec as I communicate with him? <laughs> Not so good, right? Turn, turn my back on you and that doesn't make you feel real good, right? Maybe makes you think I'm upset that something's going on, that it's not right. Somebody turns their back on you. Thanks for coming up, Alec. There's some nonverbal communication in our text today, the words of God that we're going to look at today, that is very similar to the second and third ways that I just communicated with Alec. And we might not get that, just from reading over the words, but we, that, that has huge impact for the words that Jesus speaks from the cross. And we're going to talk about that. And nonverbal communication is, is just one of the ways that God communicates. And I'm going to read for you this morning, before we get into Matthew chapter 27, I'm going to read for you uh, a couple of verses from Numbers chapter 6. There are words that most of us in this room this morning are familiar with. We know the words once I start reading them. You're going you're gonna to understand where you've heard them before. And I'm going to guess that most of us, while we recognize the words, we haven't thought about the nonverbal communication that's associated with these words in Numbers chapter 6. But they're hugely important, and they have great significance for what we're going to talk about this morning. So Numbers chapter 6, this is uh, Old Testament worship life that God is setting up. And this is what he says. The Lord says, said to Moses, kind of the leader of the pack, he said, tell Aaron, Aaron's the top like worship guy in the nation of Israel. So tell Aaron and his sons, they're all the guys that lead worship with him, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, now notice this, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face 
toward you and give you peace. Do you see the, the nonverbal communication that's taking place there? It has to do with this idea that as God blesses his people, that God turns his face toward them, that God shines his face on them. So there's an idea that associated with God's blessing is God's face, his countenance, his pleasant smile on his people. Another way that we say that, sec- that uh, final verse there sometimes here at church is that the Lord look upon you with his favor, right? Literally, the idea is that God is turning his face toward us. We like that. We want that, right? The favor of God, the face of God. Who, I mean, you know, who here this morning doesn't want the favor of God in their lives? No one. Right? We all want to be favorites, right? You know, in the Old Testament, they had the, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Israelites. We want to be the favorites of God. We want God's favor. We want God's face to be upon us. And in our lesson this morning, we're going to talk about God's favor and God's face and the impact for Jesus and the impact for us. So Matthew uh, chapter 27, fourth time Jesus is speaking from the cross. We're just going to read two verses this morning, starting off with verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. The sixth hour, they don't keep track of time the same way that we did. The sixth hour of the day would have been noon, until the ninth hour of the day would have been three in the afternoon. So we would think, right... The time of day when the sun is the highest, when the sun is the brightest, when the sun is the hottest, there is total and utter darkness in the land. And right away, we already are understanding the significance of what's going on here because we know, we still use that terminology today, right? When life turns dark, when, when life all of a sudden becomes black or dark or gray, the significance that we're saying there is that things are not going well. Things are, are hard. Things are uncertain. Things can be painful when life is dark. And in a very real way, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the world turns dark as he is enduring the crucifixion. And he goes on, verse 46, about the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never have words conveyed such hurt as my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Think about it. Here you have Jesus Christ. Perfect, innocent, had done no wrong. And here he is hanging on a cross and he is experiencing separation from God for the very first time. 
Here you have Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And from all eternity, he has experienced the presence of God. From all of eternity, he has seen the pleasant face of his Father. And now for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus is experiencing abandonment from his Father. For the very first time from all eternity, Jesus is seeing his heavenly Father turn his face away from him. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just think about that. Jesus Jesus put up with the beatings. He endured the mock trials. Um, he, He stood up to the insults and the ridicule. He faced the fact that those he loved the most ran away from him. But now, as he experiences for the very first time, his father turning his face away from him, it's too much. And he cries out words of such pain and such hurt, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Ever felt abandoned? Ever tried it, you know, try to figure out what that feels like to be abandoned? Makes me think of uh, an 11-year-old boy who lives just a couple miles from here. Last August, woke up, and what happened? He had been abandoned by his father. Found a note, dad said, took off. Not telling you where I'm going, not telling you what I'm doing, probably not going to see you ever again. Gone. Can you imagine that? Some of you don't need to try to imagine what it feels like to be abandoned. For some of you, uh, life has been a pretty lonely ride. Maybe not all the time, but times of your life have been pretty lonely. This past week, my family was out of town, and it was just a week, but it was a pretty lonely experience. When you come home to an empty house every single night, it's quiet. It's different. Some of you have lost loved ones, and you know what it's like to come home to that empty house. And it's quiet, and it's different. Some of you know the loneliness of friends that have betrayed you, the loneliness of depression, the loneliness of unending hurt, the loneliness of just what life seems to have in store for you. And as painful and as hard as those times are in our lives, they don't compare to the loneliness that Jesus experienced on the cross as his father turned his face from him and abandoned his one and only son. And it just begs the question, is there something so bad, is there something so wrong that God would have to abandon his son, the one whom he loves? The answer is yes. There is something so wrong. There is something so painful, so, so, so wrong and evil in our world that God would choose to abandon his son. And that thing is sin. You see, God, God is sinless. God is perfect. God, does, you know, God has no sin a part of him. Jesus was innocent. Jesus did not sin. And yet God turns his face from his son, abandons his son, because, as we read in 2 Corinthians, God gave to Jesus our sin and he put it all on him 
And that meant for Jesus, abandonment from his father. Because God and sin are like fire and paper. The two cannot coexist. The two cannot you know, be together in one room. It's the same way with God and sin. God cannot be in the same room. God cannot have sin in his presence. And so as God put the sin of the world, the lust, the adultery, the cheating, the lying, the pride, the arrogance, the anger, the resentment of all of us, as God put that on his son, and Jesus bore that on the cross, God turned his face away from him. And Jesus endures separation from God for the very first time. And he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The why is the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we looked at. God made him. This is what Luther calls the great exchange. God made him, made Jesus, who had no sin. He was perfect. He had done nothing wrong. He did not deserve separation and abandonment and rejection by his heavenly Father. Didn't deserve it. But God made him, who had no sin, to be sin for us. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus... If it's just simply the crucifixion of Jesus is not good news. If it's just simply the crucifixion of Jesus, it's the greatest atrocity the world has ever seen. The greatest injustice done to a perfect person. And yet, the fact that Jesus took upon himself and God made him to be our sin for us makes it the best news that we could ever hear. It is the absolute greatest news that you and I can ever hear in our lives. And the very real picture that's going on here is that as God turns his face and his favor away from his son, God turns his face and he turns his favor to us. And we experience not the abandonment of God, For our sins, but we experience the blessing and the favor and the countenance and the pleasant face of our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus has done for us. I asked at the beginning of the service, you know, who who among us wouldn't want the favor of God? Right? We we all want the favor of God. I'll tell you what, the favor of God is not something that we achieve. It is something that we receive. As Jesus took our sin and he gives to us our, his righteousness, his right standing with God is what he gives to us so that you and I, right now, we have the favor of God in our lives. The favor of God is that presence of God and that power of God to accomplish his purpose in and through our lives. The favor of God, it is that that presence of God, that pleasant face of God that looks towards us. It is the power of an almighty God who is accomplishing his purpose in and through our lives. And we have that. 
We've received that in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. We receive the favor and the face and the presence of God in our lives. Now, sometimes we don't, we don't feel it, right? We don't, we don't think we have the favor of God. Sometimes, sometimes right, we think if, if we have the favor of God in our lives, then God should do us some favors, right? If we have the favor of God, if we're a child of God, then, then God should, you know, he should answer our special prayers, right? This is a really big one, God. I really need you to come through on this one. I really need, is what we're saying, is I really need a favor from you right now. Now, the favor of God and favors from God are not one and the same thing. The favor of God means that his pleasant face is upon us, that his presence is with us, that his power is a part of our lives to accomplish his will in and through our lives. I think sometimes we forget that the favor of God is upon us because we don't feel like the favor of God is upon us. And I think sometimes we don't feel like the favor of God is upon us because sometimes, right, sometimes we don't even like ourselves. Sometimes we look at the things that we do, the things that we do again and again and again and again, the, the anger and the resentment, the jealousy, the lust, all of those things that keep coming back in our lives and we think, man, I don't even like myself right now. How could God like me? And maybe I think sometimes we have this idea that, yeah, God loves me. He has to, right? Jesus died. He's got to love me, but he doesn't like me. He doesn't really care about me. He doesn't really want what's best for me because look at me. Look at the things that I do. I'll tell you what. God's favor has nothing to do with our performance. God didn't get suckered in to loving you. And God didn't get suckered in to putting his favor upon you. God chose to do it. God willingly did it because God wanted a relationship with you. And now God's presence is with you. Doesn't always mean life's going to go well. Let me give you an example of that. Luke chapter 1, not quite the uh, correct time of year to be bringing up Luke chapter 1, but... See if you can finish this verse for me from Luke chapter 1. An angel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Think about that. She's not just kind of favored by God. She doesn't just kind of have the presence of God. She is highly favored by God. And if any of us, if we could step into Mary's shoes and, we, and God, you know, the angel would come to us and say, man, do you want God's highly, fa- do you want to be highly favored by God? I think all of us would want to put our hands up, right? We want, we want to be highly favored by God. And then what happens in Mary's life? She gives birth to a baby boy in a mess. She has to endure the, the, the ridicule and the shame of, of society for what looks like an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. 33 years after she gave birth to that child, she would stand at the foot of that cross, as we talked about last week, and she would watch him die the worst death imaginable. Mary, you, you still want to be highly favored by God? Yeah. Yeah. Because she still wants the presence 
and the power of God in her life. She still wants the certainty that Jesus died for her sins. You and I. Life isn't always going to go well for us either. God never promised it. But what he does guarantee is that his face, his presence, his countenance will always be upon us because he forsook his son instead of us. Amen. Please stand. This morning we have an opportunity to...